Well, this morning we're kicking off a series called I Love My Church. Now, when I even say that, it's not probably the most attractive tagline. I know a giant slayer tagline would be a great one, but I love my church. What does that mean? I think that they have some strong words, isn't it? I really contemplated on what to call this series. Should we have called it I Love Church or should we have called it I Love The Church? Uh, but I really felt no, because sometimes you talk to people and they're like, yeah, I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. Jesus and I, we've got this relationship. It's like, what about the church? And they sort of, all of a sudden have this high pitched squeaky voice, like a church, I love the church. You know, it's like uh, one of those things of like, they don't want to talk about it, but they probably just need to tolerate it. And, and the reason why we're not calling it, I love the church is because sometimes it's easier to love the universal church the global church, the conferences that we tune into online or the worship CDs or the worship music that we listen to on our phones or a drive to work, that is the church. But what, what I'm trying to talk about is my church. And that is where the power lies because God has not just called us to belong to the church or to love the church. He's called us to love your church or to love my church. Uh, the word my is so powerful because it gives us a sense of belonging. It gives us a sense of engagement. It gives us a sense of connection. And it gives us a sense of assignment and ownership. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to sort of engage in what it looks like to be a part of that. And I really believe it's not going to be a series that is going to just sort of tell us how we need to behave or how we need to believe, but rather it's going to be a series where it's going to empower us into this massive kingdom force called the church. And for that, I want to start from Genesis 28, verse 10. We're going to read from the life of a guy called Jacob. In fact, we're going to literally parachute into the life of, of this guy called Jacob. It says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Verse 11. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. I've read the scripture so many times but I've never read it in the light that I did a few days ago. The Bible says the sun had set and it stood out to me. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Has the sun set on your life? Is there an area in your life where the sun has set? Maybe the sun has set on your marriage. Maybe the sun has set on a relationship. Maybe the sun has set on your finances. Maybe the sun has set on your purpose. Because when we read the story of Jacob, that's exactly what happened. See, for you to really appreciate the text, you got to understand the context. And the context is Jacob was born into this house to a man called Isaac. Isaac has, has, has these two sons. In fact, Jacob was a twin. His older brother was Esau, and his name was Jacob, obviously. The Bible says that when they were, when, when, when they were, you know, when his mother was conceiving this child, when, they, when she was carrying this child, the Bible says that literally there was a struggle in the womb. And the Bible says that Isaac came out and then Jacob. And Jacob was just 0.12 seconds younger than his older brother. Now, in our context, that doesn't mean too much. But in Jacob's context, that meant a lot. Because in the context that he grew up in, the firstborn got first right. The firstborn got greater inheritance. And in a sense, Jacob throughout his life needed to sort of, uh, sort of handle this leftover mindset. Whatever Esau, my older brother, doesn't want, I get. 
Uh, whatever he's done with, I get. The things that he doesn't want, I get. And so from the day he was born to the time he went to school to the time he grew up as a teenager, it was always a second best mentality. And Jacob was no, uh, uh, no sort of backward, lazy individual. He was driven. He, was, he had purpose. And so he hated it. He was hardworking. But no matter what he did, life just made it look like he was second best, second best in school, second best at home, second best when it came to skills. His brother Esau, who was just older than him by a few seconds, literally outsmarted him in any way. And so in Genesis chapter 20, uh, 27, 26, what happens is Jacob literally puts on the garments of his older brother and imitates like he is his older brother Esau to try and inherit the blessings that his dad, Isaac, had for his, uh, for his brother. And so what begins to happen, he tries to steal his brother's blessing. And isn't that crazy how sometimes we try to pretend to be somebody else just so that we can get the approval of people around us. And so he does this, and what begins to happen is his brother Esau gets so frustrated that he literally wants to kill him. So in Genesis chapter 28, I want you to know, my friend, that Jacob was not going on a holiday trip. He wasn't going on a camping tour. No, 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 no. He was running away from everything that was called home. He was running away from everything that was familiar. He was running away from his father. He was running away from his mother. He was running away from the home that he grew up in. He was running away from his friends. He was running away from his brother. In other words, the son had set on his life. And I want to speak to you this morning because maybe you might be facing that. And in the middle of that, in Genesis 28, as the sun sets literally and symbolically, we continue to read, it says, and he took, that's Jacob, one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. So Jacob was just going for sleep. It was late at night. Verse 12, it says, then he dreamed. I want to pause right now and talk to the dreamers that are with me. If you're a dreamer, I want you to say something. If you're a dreamer, I want you to just lift your hands up. If you're a dreamer, I want you to start dreaming again. Jacob had nothing to dream about. It was probably the worst day of his life where he ran away from everything that was comfortable, convenient, and familiar. But yet the Bible says he dreamed. And I want to talk to you because if you're living, there is still a dream that's, that's inside of you. If you're living, there's still hope bursting within you. And then it says, he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending. Verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood about it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. And the God of Isaac and the land on which you lie on, I will give you and your descendants. Here's my second thought. Jacob thought he had no connection. Jacob thought he was a one-man band. Jacob thought he was a lone ranger, just like so many of us feel many times. But in the middle of his loneliest moment, in the middle of his dry season, in the middle of his wilderness experience, God literally steps down from heaven and tells him these words. He says, the land that you're lying on, I'm the God of 
your father, under God as your grandfather. In other words, this is what God was saying. This thing began a long time ago. Friend, I want you to know the church of Jesus Christ is not a human idea. It's not an idea that started 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago. The church of Jesus Christ has been there all throughout Scripture. And God was telling Jacob, I know how lonely you feel, but you're part of something that is so significant. You're part of something that is so magnanimous. You're part of something that is so incredible. Jacob, you have no idea. You've stepped on something that carries legacy. That's got to give you encouragement because if you've come from a destroyed family setting, if you've come from a dysfunctional family setting, I want you to know that God has people around you. God's connected you to something that is so powerful and he wants you to be a part of it. And I want you to understand something because I think a lot of times we approach God in the sense of, God, what are your promises for me? God, I, I need you to bless me. I need your promises. And I want to tell you right now, when God interrupted Jacob's sleep, God wasn't telling him that there are promises for you. Rather, he was saying, your promises arrived way before you arrived. Your breakthrough arrived way before you arrived. The promises that you've been given didn't begin now. It began even before your arrival. I've just been waiting for you. See, a lot of times we think God bless me, but God is saying your blessing has been waiting for a very long time. God, you promised me this thing. And God's like, my promises are in my word and my promises are yes and amen. They've been there from the beginning of time. I have been waiting for you. You are part of something bigger than you realize. This has been around a very long time. Verse 14, it says, Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed all the families of the world of the world shall be blessed. Behold, I'm about, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Here's my third thought. I love the heart of God because whenever God's about to do something, He never talks to the individual. See, a lot of times we think, God bless me, God change me, God heal me. But God doesn't do that. God's plan involves a family. The moment God encounters Jacob, God says, I've got your back. And the next thing he says is, uh, you're going to go to the north, the south, the east, the west. In other words, God's vision is always bigger than you realize. That's why I love being a part of Downpour Church, because here we are believing for Brisbane. We're believing for Dubai. We're believing for the nations of the world. And as long as there is still a clock and as long as there is still another lost soul, we will keep declaring the gospel. We will keep reaching people that are far from God. We will keep going out there because that is God's mandate that we got to constantly have a sense of expansion, constantly have a sense of bigness. I think so many times the reason why we cannot be blessed is because we think so small. Oh God, bless me when God says, I want to bless you as a group. See, I think the problem is this. We approach God as individuals, but God approaches, God blesses us collectively. 
God began to speak to Jacob organically. He said, I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to bless everything you touch. I'm going to bless you from the left. I'm going to bless you through the right. In other words, God said, I'm not just going to touch you. I'm going to touch things around you. I want you to be involved in a family. And that's why I love the local church where you can find a family to be a part of. And in that family, there's a blessing that begins to come. I want to encourage you. Think about people in your world that you need to be connected with to understand and be a part of God's bigger purpose. I want to bless you, but the way I'm going to bless you is not individually. I'm going to bless you collectively. It goes on to say in verse 16, then Jacob woke up from his sleep. See, I think a lot of times I find people in the church that are still dreaming and they're still in their sleep. I found a lot of people say, oh, I want to I wanna, I wanna, uh, I wanna plant a church here and I want to go on, missions, on a mission strip there and I want to go to Colombia and do this and I want to go to Papua New Guinea and do that and, 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 and while I'm on transit, I'll, I'll do a conference here. A lot of times we are in dreamland and it's great to have a dream, but I like what it says. It says, Jacob woke up from, the, from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. Surely God is here. See, so many times we have big dreams, but the greatest dreamers are not the ones with the eyes shut. The greatest dreamers are the ones with the eyes wide open. Wide open, looking at the opportunity that lies before us. I think sometimes we can think that God's purpose of blessing us is for our sake, but really it's not. It's for the sake of the world. See, when Jesus came to planet Earth, it wasn't a little mission strip that God the Father sent him on because he was a good son. No, it was for my sake. It was for your sake. And so everything that God blesses us with, every opportunity that he puts us around us, it's got to do with people. And so Jacob wakes up and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? In fact, that's the title of my message. I know I should have said that right at the start, but we've got a couple of minutes to go. Better as Might as well say it now as opposed to saying it at the end of the message. But the title of my message is, How Awesome Is This Place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Here's my fourth thought. How awesome is this place? You know, I've had moments in my life where I walked into a God moment and I did not even realize it. See, as I grew up, I had this idea of God that when God would turn up, I would know. It would be a bass voice, sound a bit like Morgan Freeman. The red carpet would roll out. Angels would come and sing hallelujah. You know, I would just know God. How many times in Scripture, though, we find people that stumbled upon the presence of God and did not even know God was there? See, God was there ever before Jacob arrived there. And I want to ask you this morning, are there moments in your life where you need to wake up and know, oh, God is here. God is in this room. God is in this atmosphere. Are there moments in your life where you're just like, I did not know God was here. I remember when I was 15, I'd just given my heart to Jesus the year before. And my mom and dad sent me to this youth camp, this camp that I'd been going for a few years and I'd already predicted how it was going to be. They're going to start with this. They're going to sing this song. They're going to give us this. They're going to give us that. It's going to be some action songs or whatever. I could even guess what, the, what, the, what was on the food menu and everything like that. And I remember at that particular year, at that particular camp, there was a moment on the second day where the presence of God just descended. 
I felt literally the rain of heaven over my body. And it was such a transforming. I'd been at that camp three, four years. But for whatever reason, that year something shifted. And I remember as I drove away after the camp was over, as I was being picked up and I was going home, I looked back at the campsite and I said to myself, how awesome is this place? For surely God is here and I did not know it. I wonder if there have been moments in your life where you've encountered the same thing. I remember many years ago, my wife Leah, she was one day getting ready to go to church and God said to her that morning, you're going to meet your husband today. Now, I did not know. God did not tell me that. I wasn't as spiritual. But she, she comes into church. She's excited. And I was in church and I was in worship. And I noticed there was this girl at the front row. And she looked quite attractive, looked beautiful. I think more, even more attractive than her looks was also her spirit. The way she worshipped God. The way she went after God. There was something that was so vibrant. And so I did what... Every good guy does, which is introduce myself. And I found that at the end of my, uh, the service that uh, my wife, Leah, was sitting next to my sister. So I just used that opportunity to try and talk to my sister. But really, I just wanted an introduction. And I met her that day, and there was something. There was, there was nothing, the words that I could uh, fall short in explaining that moment. But it was a moment that I would call was magical. I did not know that day that I was going to meet my future wife. But today, I look back at that moment and I realize how awesome is this place. For surely, God is among us. I remember on another occasion, when I was in my 20s, I had the opportunity to preach in Africa. And I was at the, uh, the nights where we were going to do the pastor's meet, I mean, the, the crusade and the big evangelistic meetings and all that sort of stuff. The mornings when we were doing pastors and leaders sessions. So we had 150 pastors gathered together in this room, pastors, leaders, helpers, assistants, teams, just there. And I was talking about miracles. I was talking about healing. I was talking about breakthrough and how to pray for the sick and all sorts of stuff. And being in Africa, somehow someone snuck a blind man in. And I could hear some commotion in the back. I said, what's going on there? And they were like, oh, there's a blind person. And at that, at that given moment, I'd seen a few people heal from blindness over the years. And so I said, yeah, bring him to the front. I was confident that God was going to do something. I, I preached for an hour or so about miracles. And so I was like, yeah, let's go after this. And so they bring this man to the front. And as I have a clearer look and an understanding of what's happening, the guy was not just blind. He was missing his eyeballs. I got so, every, every ounce of faith in me just dropped. And I did what every good pastor would do which was I began to worship. I said, all right, let's all sing out to God. Let's all worship. Just trying to divert the attention. Sing, sing, sing. And I just started doing this courtesy prayer. If I can be honest, there was no faith in me to believe for the miraculous. I was just doing this courtesy prayer. And all of a sudden, I was laying my hands on this guy. And all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit taking over my tongue. I started speaking to the optic nerve. I started speaking to the different, I started calling out medical terms that I, did not, I was not even comfortable with. I did not even know. I just started calling it out. And all of a sudden, I literally felt like the voice of God saying, take off your hands. As I took my hands off, I literally saw in front of my eyes two eyeballs being formed. And all of a sudden, I realized how awesome is this place. For surely God is in our midst, and I did not even know it. That's what church is all about. 
It's a place where we come together and we realize that anything can happen and it probably will. Verse 18, it says, Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put his head on, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that place had been called Luz previously. This is probably the first occasion in the Bible where something around the lines of church is mentioned. That word there, Bethel, is the house of God. The word church is interpreted as gathering, assembly, but also is considered as the house of God. I want you to notice that the Bible says that that portion of land that Jacob lay on was first called Luz, but Jacob renamed that portion of land. And he's my last thought, which is God has given you naming rights over your situation. That's why I love the church of Jesus Christ, because I can come in heavy and burdened and depressed and anxious. And in a moment of worship, all of a sudden I go from being that to renaming my moment. That's what heaven is all about. When, when God's presence descends in corporate worship, in the coming together, in the assembly of His saints, as the Bible calls it, that when we come together, I can come in feeling lacking, I can come in feeling empty, but all of a sudden I go from a place of lust to a place of Bethel, the house of God. I want you to know, friend, God has given you naming rights over your situation. I want us to have a fresh perspective about the church because the church is not just this beautiful gathering where everyone sings nice songs and look pretty and take photos and hashtag and put it on Instagram. The church is not anything else but a force. It's a force and a conduit by which God does His purpose. And so I want to encourage you this morning to rise up and to engage in what God is doing and start praying about the church that God's called you to be a part of. Downport Church, I believe, has a great plan and a great destiny over its soul. And I believe that you and I, we can do something incredible, not because of our, our ability. Without the presence of God, we are nothing but lusts. But with the presence of God, we enter a place called Bethel, the house of God. Why don't we pray? Father, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. Lord, we recognize this morning, for surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place? And I did not even know God was here. But Father, this morning, I pray right now for your presence to descend. I pray right now for your anointing to come upon each and every hand that's lifted up. I pray in the name of Jesus, you would touch every heart, touch every mind, touch every soul. I declare that this right now is a new moment. We right now enter a moment where your presence is descending upon us because together as the church comes in one place with united hearts, you do great and mighty things. And so we give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.